Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And yes, uh, Chicago's Legal Latte is the podcast series, but we are currently in the midst of a series within that series. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and today we bring you the uh, second installment of our special seven-episode Bankruptcy Solutions series here on the podcast. Uh, Joining me for this very timely series is Lavelle Law shareholder Timothy Hughes. Uh, Last week, Tim provided an overview of bankruptcy options. Today, we're going to focus primarily on Chapter 7 Solutions. So, uh, good afternoon, Tim. Nice to talk to you again. Oh, thanks for having me, Jim. Um, so let's let's get in. There's a lot to cover today. Let's, let's start by talking about what happens to an individual or, or a couple, uh, their property when they do file for bankruptcy. Okay, and you're right that either an individual or a couple can file jointly uh, bankruptcy, and when they do, their property becomes property of the bankruptcy estate that's created uh, the minute or second that they file for bankruptcy protection. They get the protection of the bankruptcy court, the automatic stay, and kind of uh, in exchange for that protection, their assets now belong to the bankruptcy estate. Now, does that mean that this becomes just a complete loss of property? They forfeit everything, or is there a process that might help them regain some of that? Uh, You're right that, no, they don't uh, lose everything that uh, secured creditors and exemptions, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, will protect uh, most, if not, or most uh, individuals' uh, assets. And in uh, Illinois, about 97, 98% of the cases are what are called no-asset cases. And by that, I do not mean that only people living underneath the Michigan Avenue Bridge in Chicago are filing bankruptcy or you have to have absolutely nothing to file. It means that when, uh, say, a couple files with a home worth 300000 that a trustee looks at that home worth 300000 and in his or her mind they say, if I take that house because it, that house is now part of the bankruptcy estate, how will I be able to liquidate it to provide a dividend to general unsecured creditors? Those are the guys last in line. While that trustee thinks, well, I take that $300,000 home, I pay for a realtor, I pay for uh, all the costs associated with selling real estate. So from that 300, I may get 90% of that, so 270. From that 270, I have to pay off the mortgage of 250. And because both husband and wife are on title, they each get their 15,000 homestead exemption. And I try to get out and about, but I still have not met a trustee who's going to dip into their own pocket to uh, give a individual money. So even though on paper owning a house at 300 and owing 250. You would think there's 50,000 of equity, but in that trustee's mind, he would be going 
negative about 10,000, so he would likely make a finding of no assets. A little longer answer than... Well, uh, a lot of details. We're going to try and get to as many as we can. And I, I want to get back to part of that answer. You, you used the term there, exemptions, and as you noted, we want to talk about that. Um, kind of explain what exemptions are in a bankruptcy case like this and, and how they might help the, the person or a couple who are filing. Sure. Exemptions are a creature of law that is meant to protect individuals from their creditors, uh, both federal and state legislators have enacted exemptions, and across the 50 states, they're all different, and the federal is different than all of the states. But um, the uh, bankruptcy court in Illinois will uh, be following the state exemptions of Illinois that were created by the uh, legislature down in Springfield. And in that exemption, there are a lot of different categories. Uh, previous example, we talked about homestead exemption. That's what protects mm -hmm. your home. And if you don't have a home and you rent, well, your security, your security deposit with that landlord is protected by the homestead exemption. Uh, but there are a lot of different exemptions. Uh, there's uh, $2,400 uh, for a vehicle, there's a wild card exemption which protects any asset that an individual wants or multiple assets up to 4000 or 8000 for a joint filing. Then there's uh, workers' comp, which is fully protected. There's retirement accounts, which are fully protected, and, you know, depending upon... Mm -hmm. The individual's assets, we would look to see what may be protected. Uh, clothing is usually protected. A wedding ring within reason is protected, and so on and so on. Interesting. Now, um, a minute ago, you mentioned another term, and I know you used it in our last conversation. We talked about it a little bit, but why don't you just give us a quick recap on what it means to be a secure creditor and, and how they might factor into this discussion today. Sure. Uh, if uh, somebody is thinking of filing bankruptcy and they're like, well, if I'm going to lose all my assets, I can't lose my car because that's how I get to work or that's how I see family members or if I need to go to the emergency room, I need that car. I need that car. Well, um, if that car is um, uh, a vehicle that somebody's making payments on, the person or the entity that the person's paying for that vehicle is a secured creditor. Secured creditors are typically a bank with a mortgage on somebody's house or a car note holder for the vehicle. But occasionally there can be other secured creditors, uh, a store where you went in and bought a washer and dryer may have a security interest in that washer and dryer and that would protect those assets. Um, and, and I know we're going to talk about a number of different things over the next few weeks as, as we uh, have this conversation and enjoy the series of uh, conversations with you and some of the other partners at Lavelle Law. Um, so I, we may dive into this later, but when we talk about individuals and or couples who might file jointly, if one person files but there's another person who's a co-owner of a particular asset and, and they don't file, 
um, where do they fall then in, in terms of uh, you know the particular asset? Well, if the person filing doesn't own it, uh, then the trustee is going to say, you know, uh, you know, why didn't your spouse file? And if the spouse that didn't file doesn't have that much of uh, a debt load, there's no reason for them to file. And just because their uh, couple is married doesn't mean they have to jointly file. One spouse may have debt related to a business that he or she had or debt uh, resulting from a uh, prior marriage or prior to being married. Uh, so uh, one spouse filing is not uncommon, and the assets of the other one may be such that uh, uh, they have an asset because of an inheritance or they've always been in uh, a family uh, deal where They've got property, and you know that individual doesn't want to file. Well, if the spouse has never owned that property, then the trustee or the bankruptcy estate can't reach the spouse's asset. Um, they could if that one spouse said, "Well, gee, I own 50% of you know Black Acre Farm, but I want to file bankruptcy next week, so I'll just quick claim my interest over to my spouse." that would be a transaction that would be undone by the bankruptcy court as fraudulent. Uh, but if the filing individual or spouse uh, never owned the asset, then uh, that asset doesn't come into play. Uh, for our listeners, this is part two of our seven-part bankruptcy solutions series here on Chicago's Legal Latte. You can Follow each episode uh, on the Bankruptcy Practice Group page at lavellelaw.com. Um, and on that site, you can also find Tim Hughes' personal profile page, which has a link to all the articles and newsletters he's authored, as, as well as videos and many other podcasts he's, he's been a part of. Um, so uh, lavellelaw.com will get you more than we can even get you uh, in the discussion time we have today. And, and Tim, I've been focusing through the conversation today on Chapter 7 filings. In the past, you've Reference Chapter 13 as an option. Uh, is is property treated differently in in a 13 filing? No, it's kind of the same formula of fair or that the uh, when a person files Chapter 13, their assets become property of the bankruptcy estate because, again, like in a Chapter 7 filing a Chapter 13, when you file, you get bankruptcy protection immediately. Uh, in the 13, the same state exemptions here in Illinois would be applicable. Uh, if only one spouse filed, then the formula gets changed a little bit, going from fair market value uh, minus secured claim or claims, if there's multiple, minus any applicable exemptions. And then there's the individual whose filings uh, or equity uh, then half of that number would be chopped, or that number would be chopped in half because uh, the non-filing spouse uh, would be able to assert his or her uh, equity interest in that half. And uh, I guess to take it out of the husband-wife situation, if it was uh, uh, siblings and four brothers owned uh, Black Acre and one brother filed, then 
he would only have a 25% interest. So um, the other three would be able to, you know, hopefully protect their interest. Um, some more questions I'd love to get to. We're getting short on time, so I'll just start here in terms of the, you gave a nice example earlier of how uh, the trustee might look at the cost of liquidating a, a home in particular. Um, are there other factors that a trustee will use when they consider you know, assets to be liquidated? Sure. A uh, common one is a car. So let me do the math right here. Let's say you've got an $11,000 car with a uh, $7,500 car note, the secured creditor. Well, 11,000 minus 7,500 is 3,500. I mentioned earlier a vehicle can only be protected up to 2,400. Uh, and then assuming they use their wild card, uh, 4,000 exemption for their checking account and household goods. They had $1,100 of equity in a vehicle. If that's the only equity in a bankruptcy estate, a trustee knows that to open up an estate, they've got to hire a law firm to represent them. They've got to hire an accountant to do uh, uh, tax returns for the bankruptcy estate. So just the cost of administering that $1,100 asset may be uh, four dollars to $5,000. So therefore, the administrative expense uh, would just make it un Un, uh, not feasible to administer. Mm -hmm. So even though there's equity, there's none to, in the trustee's eye. And, and before I let you go, you, you've talked about the various exemptions. Are there any other ways or any other assets that an individual can, can hold on to, or, or does ultimately it come down to the trustee and they have to make the decision? It comes down to the trustee, the ownership of the asset, its marketability, and, uh, you know, a uh, $10,000 campground in uh, uh, Illinois may be a little easier to administer than a similar-sized one in Wyoming or out of state. So uh, uh, there's a lot of different factors, and that's why it takes, you know, time to analyze an individual situation to make sure what the right steps are for them or that if they want to take a certain direction, they know the cost and benefit of going in that direction. Well, we're just uh, starting to scratch the surface in Episode 2 of our seven-part series, Bankruptcy Solutions, thanks to Timothy Hughes, uh, one of the shareholders at Lavelle Law, for being here for these first couple of episodes. We'll talk to him some more. If you have questions about bankruptcy between now and then, visit LavelleLaw.com or call 847-705-7555. Thanks to Tim, and thanks to you for listening.